The Sunshine Economy is back on the air. The job market is strong in South Florida. Offices are reopening and COVID-19 vaccines are available. So what pandemic policies are companies putting in place? One policy that you've seen across every company is do not come to work sick. Masks are required. If you are not wearing a mask, you need to be vaccinated. It's based on the honor system. We sent the letter with some pretty strongly worded language. There was a sentence that said, we don't want to see you die a slow and painful death on a ventilator. I'm Tom Hudson. Today on the Sunshine Economy, pandemic protocols in the workplace. The restaurant industry was hardest hit by the virus and best helped by the vaccines. There is no one thing that we saw a surge of business more than the vaccine coming under market. It's all coming up on the Sunshine Economy after the news. Welcome to the Sunshine Economy on WLRN. I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks for listening and supporting public radio. The COVID-19 vaccine has helped turn around the fortunes of lots of businesses, especially those focused on tourism and hospitality here in South Florida. But those same companies may not be requiring vaccines for their employees, even as business picks up and in some cases is better than before the pandemic. We make it known before somebody is hired that we need you in a mask or we need you vaccinated. That's Todd Herbst. He is a co-owner of Big Time Restaurant Group. It's based in West Palm Beach and runs eight different restaurant concepts. Rocco's Tacos and Tequila Bar, uh, Louis Bossi's Ristorante Bar and Pizzeria, Elisabetta's Ristorante Bar and Pizzeria. Big Time has about 2,000 full and part-time employees, and all of its restaurants are open to full capacity. And the, uh, the restaurants are everywhere from Fort Lauderdale, into Boca del Rey, West Palm, Tampa, Orlando, Naples, Palm Beach Gardens. The cooks, bartenders, servers, hosts, bussers, and managers are not required to be vaccinated against COVID-19. It's one or the other. Masks are required. If you are not wearing a mask, you need to be vaccinated. Um, the, The situation there, though, is that it's based on the honor system. Big Time Restaurant Group is not alone in its approach to workplace rules as the pandemic stretches on. My name is John Kunkel. I am the founder and CEO of 50 Eggs Hospitality Group. 50 Eggs is behind restaurants like Yardbird, Spring Chicken, and Chica. Its concepts are in states that have had much different approaches to the pandemic, such as Florida and California. It also has a few outlets in Singapore. We've had a real interesting uh, perspective on COVID just because we've had to deal with it so differently in every state. And and quite frankly, Singapore has really dealt with it completely differently than the rest of the U.S. Diners eating in a Singapore restaurant can only eat together in groups up to five people and only if they can show proof that they're fully vaccinated. Such a practice would be considered illegal here in Florida. The legislature passed and Governor Ron DeSantis signed a law banning companies from requiring their customers to be vaccinated. Norwegian Cruise Lines has sued over that ban. Companies are able to require workers to be vaccinated, but Kunkel does not require the staff at his restaurants to get the doses. So currently we have in all of our stores around the country, we still have our staff that are masked up. 
we've removed any kind of plastic barriers and, and kind of plexi kind of host stand barriers, all those kind of wacky things you've seen all over the country. And, uh, you know, we are using real menus. We're not kind of defaulting the QR codes. And so we, we have loosened. The cleaning protocols remain, including using a separate cleaning company to disinfect the spaces. Kunkel says they also offer COVID-19 testing for workers and have offered workers time off to get vaccinated if they want to, but the shots are not required. Kunkel of 50 Eggs and Herbst with Big Time Restaurant Group are running bigger companies with over 1,000 employees each. Michael McCann runs a wine bar with just five part-timers. Hi, my name is Michael McCann. Uh, I am the owner of Vesselate Wine Bar in Miami, Florida, in Kendall. It's a small space, less than 2,000 square feet, in a strip mall between an outpatient healthcare center and a franchised Wings restaurant. We are basically a local wine bar. We do all kinds of tasting events. Um, we're a full-service restaurant. We uh, specialize in, in boutique wines, um, nothing that you're going to find at Publix or anything like that. His policy is the same as the larger restaurateurs we spoke with. Encourage employees to get vaccinated, but don't require it. And trust those who say they have gotten the doses actually have. I did not require or ask to see their their paperwork, um, just, just on the honor system, yeah. The restaurant industry is not alone in navigating what pandemic policies to put in place as business picks up. Workers head back to their offices and the virus continues circulating. Most small companies do not require employees to be vaccinated. Less than 10% of those surveyed by the U.S. Census Bureau have a vaccine policy for workers as of the end of August. However, that has been growing throughout the summer. Less than 5% mandated the shots at the beginning of June. The Florida data is not much different than those national numbers. South Florida small companies have shown a little more interest in a vaccine policy. About one in nine require the shots for workers, a significant change from just one in about every 25 requiring the doses for employees around Memorial Day. The hospitality industry overall has been experiencing an increase in employers requiring workers to show proof they're vaccinated. It was almost 13% late last month, higher than the national average. Now, later on in this program, we will talk about how the South Florida restaurant tours we spoke with credit the vaccine for bringing business back, but worry requiring workers to get the shots could hurt their efforts to hire new people in a very competitive job market. Restaurants are uniquely challenged by this virus. Groups of strangers spending time in close proximity of each other, usually indoors, usually without masks. There's no work-from-home option for employees. A server has to get close to customers to do the job, and those diners and drinkers come in with their own attitudes toward the germ. We're very much in the public eye. We serve all kinds of guests from all different parts of the state and the country, and this is Todd Herbst again. He's co-owner of Big Time Restaurant Group. People have varying, as we all know, opinions on the best cause of action to try to contain this pandemic. So we try to take that into account, yet remain as safe as we can, protecting our guests and our staff by allowing the staff to make that decision. But it needs to be one or the other. And that is be vaccinated or wear a mask while at work. 
Employees are not asked for proof of vaccination, but the vaccination or be masked practice is a written policy at big time restaurants. Employees sign a statement saying they understand it and managers talk about it before shifts. I'm vaccinated. I, I still use a mask periodically just to be, you know, extra, uh, extra cautious. I've, I've had COVID. I don't want to have it again. And uh, it's not fun. Herbst says he caught the virus last fall before vaccines were available. It was the sickest that I've ever been. I wasn't in the hospital. And unfortunately, I didn't have any issues with my breathing. But it was still the sickest that I'd been. And I, and I was probably in bed for about 10 days. He has a date circled on his calendar when he expects to be eligible for a booster shot. And he plans on getting it. You're listening to The Sunshine Economy on WLRN. I'm Tom Hudson. Each Monday, we examine the stories and hear the voices of people shaping South Florida's economy. You can get in touch with us by sending us an email, sunshineeconomy at wlrnnews.org. Sunshineeconomy at wlrnnews.org. And be sure to listen for the BBC News Hour on Tuesdays through Fridays during the 9 a.m. hour to hear stories and voices from around the globe. Still to come on this program, how one manufacturer has encouraged its workers to protect themselves. We sent a letter with some pretty strongly worded language. There was a sentence that said, we don't want to see you die a slow and painful death on a ventilator. We're back on the Sunshine Economy here on WLRN. I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks for listening and supporting Public Radio. When COVID-19 swept across the globe, most of HICO's locations remained in operation. HICO is an aviation and aerospace parts, service, and distribution company. It was deemed an essential business in those early weeks of the pandemic because it makes and ships airline parts and electronic components used in all sorts of stuff, from satellites to x-ray machines. Heiko is based here in South Florida. It and its subsidiaries have six regional locations. It has operations in more than a dozen states and in more than a dozen countries. Demand for the company's airplane and spaceflight parts and technology has rebounded as those industries have bounced back with more people becoming vaccinated, driving demand, especially for air travel. We spoke with Victor Mendelson, co-president of Heiko, in late August. Victor, welcome back to WLRN and the Sunshine Economy. How is Heiko approaching the workforce environment now when it comes to the FDA-approved vaccine for COVID-19 from Pfizer? We are strongly encouraging, in fact, urging our team members to get the vaccine. We think it's very important to do it. Um, we are not forcing our people to do it, although, frankly, we are looking at different options right now, including doing what Delta Airlines has done, and that is tacking on a surcharge uh, for people who elect to not get vaccinated. Uh, in one instance, by the way, in one of our facilities here in Florida, one of our subsidiaries, we recently offered everybody who could give us proof of vaccination a $100 uh, payment because we wanted to see exactly 
how many people have been vaccinated. People told us they were vaccinated, but we wanted to see for sure. And it turned out that less than half of our team members in this particular factory and subsidiary and engineering facility had been vaccinated. And then sort of kind of quickly, a number of people went out and got vaccinated and brought in their cards within a couple of days. But we even brought on site a vaccine service, a pharmacy uh, that same week. And we said uh, to all of our team members there that they could be vaccinated uh, free of charge without leaving the workplace. They could bring family members. Mm -hmm. And we strongly encouraged it. We sent a letter from from me, from my father, my brother, uh, urging it in English and in Spanish Mm -hmm. uh, with some pretty strongly worded language about the dangers of not getting it. There was a there was a sentence that my father had put in that said, we don't want to see you die a slow and painful death on a ventilator. And uh, what was the discussion like about whether or not to include that strong of a warning to your employees? It was really, to be honest, a a no brainer for us. We feel very strongly about this. People need to get vaccinated. They owe it to themselves. They owe it to their families and they owe it to their coworkers. By the way, ultimately, we got up to about 63 percent, 62, 63 percent of the team there vaccinated. What did you hear back from that other 37%, more than a third, that have elected not to be vaccinated and the offer of $100 simply wasn't a big enough incentive, I suppose, for them to get a jab? Yeah, that's that's right. And, and we get a medley of reasons why. Uh, they range from the more arcane ones like uh, there's a chip in it uh which there's not let's be clear like that is not true absolutely absolutely uh and that this is just some sort of way to coerce the public to you know i'm just not sure i don't know that i trust it uh or you know uh, i i want to wait i want some more data on it it's not all unreasonable but we think that the risk of waiting greatly outweighs the risk of getting this vaccine. How are you weighing as a company that decision about whether or not to go toward essentially financial penalties for employees who choose not to get the vaccine, expressed as maybe a higher employee contribution to a health care insurance premium, versus uh, a mandate, a vaccine mandate coming from HICO as an employer, a condition of employment? would lead to uh, proof of vaccination? The way we're looking at this is, uh, at a bare minimum, the cost for unvaccinated people uh, could be materially higher, right? That looking at a hospital, apparently an average hospitalization cost of around $60,000 for a patient uh, who is hospitalized for for COVID-19. Um, so that ultimately will drive up our health insurance or health coverage costs, and we need to reflect that. It's very much like uh, smoker and non-smoker rate differentials, hmm. um, you know, or motorcycle riders, et cetera, uh, in their uh, insurance rate differentials. We feel that it's going to drive up the cost potentially for all of our, uh, all of our people, we need to be able to reflect that and to have a way to absorb those costs. What kind of protocols are in place in the 
type of manufacturing facilities, uh, the type of close quarter facilities that, uh, that Heiko operates? We have very strict protocols across our businesses. They vary depending upon the kind of operation. But as examples, we have masking requirements. Uh, we have hand, hand washing and sanitation requirements, distancing requirements, as well as physical barriers like plexiglass barriers, also break room requirements, uh, uh, capacity requirements. One of the questions that, that we get frequently is what percent of your business is working from home? I right. mean, how are you, as they say, de-densifying? And at the peak, because we're a manufacturing and engineering company, at the peak, we had only about 15% of our company working from home. So we really had to find a way to make it uh, succeed and to continue producing. And, and I should also mention that uh, our businesses are uniformly what they consider to be essential businesses. So we operated just about everywhere the entire time throughout the pandemic. Uh, so we had to find a way to, as I say, de-densify yeah. uh, across, the, across our entire platform. And uh, so that often happened through multi-shifts, right, where we would do that uh, and, and people would work at different hours. Mm-hmm. Um, not easy in a manufacturing environment, by the way. Uh, you know, very often uh, it, people are doing one operation and then they pass that part or component on to somebody else right. who then does the next part of it. Right. So, right. Uh, one job it, has to follow. Another job has to follow another job and it has to be in a certain sequence and maybe even a certain time within that sequence. You've got it. And so that that was challenging. But those are the kinds of things uh, that we're doing. Our people are very committed uh, to that. And of course, we have requirements. We've, we've been doing temperature taking at facilities with automated temperature stations, although we've been really decommissioning those. To be honest, we haven't found those uh, to be very effective. What do you think sticks around uh, if we can look through the tunnel of the pandemic that still continues with the Delta variant? What, in terms of practices, either healthcare practices or other type of workplace practices, Victor, do you think will continue even in the next few years? My answer to that has been shifting. Originally, I really thought that people would be more cautious, would be more physically distanced, uh, would engage in better hand sanitation or hand hygiene, excuse me. But as Time wears on. I am generally noticing that people are letting their guards down. I suspect that uh, we'll have wipes and we'll have sanitizer around, but that uh, if the virus subsides to a large degree, even if it's still there and it's still prevalent, that people are going to revert to the same behaviors we knew before the uh, pandemic. Victor, what role do you think companies play in addressing the pandemic? We've seen a significant role, obviously, on the part of governments and all levels of government. Uh, We've seen healthcare obviously play a role, communications. Uh, The economy plays a significant role in this public health pandemic. But what about the role of businesses? How has that evolved and, and where is that now, do you think? In terms of an employer's role, I think the employer does play a role in reminding and encouraging people and providing the means to stay safer. Things like the simple things like 
sanitizer and reminders to hand wash, closing down an office if there is an outbreak and encouraging people to stay home where they can, where there is an outbreak, I think is very important. Mechanical controls on air conditioning systems and, and filtration and things of that nature. I think those will be more permanent because employers do have an institutional memory. It's a question of the behavior of the individuals. And as we've seen with my example, uh, where we encourage people and we pushed as hard as we could, but we, we only could get up to community levels of vaccination. Uh, but I think it's still very important for employers uh, to play a role in doing that. If employers don't do that, I think we'll, we, we will backslide for sure. Has there been a different approach at HICO facilities in Florida versus HICO facilities elsewhere that can be attributed to the differences in how local or state uh, regulations have been put in place or lifted in Florida versus other locations you operate in? Yes. Throughout the entire pandemic, we definitely have operated differently based upon local regulations. Some of it as simple as masking, uh, others related to benefits and time off. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it, it has been a challenge, by the way, navigating those. And sometimes uh, they are local and not just statewide. What we've discovered uh, is we don't think we've had any or maybe more than one or two cases, interestingly enough, hmm. out of a, a, of a population company wide of about 5,500 people hmm. uh, of, of spread within the facilities. Uh, but people go home. Oh, that's where they're getting it, right? They get it from a spouse. So they'll go out to dinner. Uh, some people go to parties. We'll hear some amazing stories uh, about that, things that I just wouldn't do at this point. That's where the vigilance in the facilities really, really helps. I would say one other thing that team members generally really appreciate the efforts we're making. They appreciate the fact that we're trying to keep them safe. But sometimes uh, we've had people who complain to us and say, why are you doing this? You're making my life so difficult. And we've had them actually quit. These were over protocols, safety protocols that you had put in place? Over safety protocols we put in place. It was shocking. Victor Mendelson is the co-president of HICO. Victor, thanks so much for sharing your thoughts with us. It's my pleasure, and thank you for having me. I always enjoy the conversation with you. Speaking with HICO co-president Victor Mendelson, HICO is based in South Florida with global operations, making and distributing aviation parts and electronics. This is the Sunshine Economy on WLRN. Please check out our podcast by searching Sunshine Economy on your favorite podcast app. Leave a review and please hit subscribe. Also, be sure to listen during the 9 a.m. hour, Tuesday through Friday, for the BBC News Hour. Still to come on this program, the variety of policies companies are using to address the pandemic in the workplace. One policy that you've seen across every company is do not come to work sick.
I'm Tom Hudson, and you're listening to The Sunshine Economy on WLRN. Thanks for being here. Day-to-day may be the most common description of how companies are dealing with the threat of COVID-19 at work. Masks, distancing, testing, vaccinations, staggered shifts, remote work, all are tools South Florida companies are using as pandemic protocols in the workplace. Jay Starkman sees a lot of them. He runs the human resources outsourcing company Engage PEO. That stands for Professional Employment Organization. It handles payroll, employee benefits, training, and other services for hundreds of companies with thousands of employees, including 10,000 in Florida. Engage is based in Hollywood. So, how are companies deciding what COVID policies to put in place? What works? Yeah. Can a company reopen safely for employees? Is it an office or a warehouse? Can workers spread out or are they concentrated together? What are their attitudes toward vaccinations? There's absolutely a need for businesses to continue to do what businesses do. At the same time, realizing the moral, ethical, legal challenges that something as far-reaching and serious as this horrific pandemic has been. We spoke with Starkman in late August. Jay, welcome to WLRN. How are companies, companies that you work with, how are they approaching workplace policies about the pandemic these days? It runs the gamut. Um, There are a number of companies that are taking leads and saying that we need to have mandates. There are a number of companies that are encouraging people to get vaccinated and there are others that are just sort of seeing how it goes. Amongst the companies that are considering mandates, there's a balancing act, if you will, because um, at the same time as Delta is you know, raging across the country, um, there's also a labor shortage and companies are worried that if they are to put forward a mandate, that everybody needs to be vaccinated, then there would be um, some loss of employees that would be hard to backfill. Describe that balance and how companies are navigating between that balance of employee health and a company playing a leading role in requiring a fully approved FDA okayed vaccine and concerns about labor supply. The approval from the FDA changed the calculus a bit because there were a lot of companies that were waiting. There was an argument out there that said it's still experimental because it was just an emergency use authorization. That balance tilted a bit when the FDA did approve it. Nevertheless, there are companies across all industries that are struggling to find good employees, um, especially in healthcare. Um, We're seeing it in nursing homes. Um, We're seeing it across the board, worried about the employee retention in the face of uh, a labor shortage. It really depends on the industry, depends on the company, whether they want to take a leading role, whether they want to make sure that their place of employment is safe, how much telecommuting they can have compared to the pressures that are put on to retain all of their employees vaccinated and not. And so as companies have been navigating this, have your clients found in some cases that a vaccine requirement for a condition of employment is a deterrent 
of either retaining talent or attracting new talent or additional workers? Absolutely. The statistics that I've read say there's about 25%, 30% of these employees that are not vaccinated. It depends on the region. It could be higher, it could be lower, but let's take 30% of that group, somewhere between a third and half are saying, I'm never going to get vaccinated no matter what. The balance isn't sure, has been waiting, not quite determined on what they'll do. So by putting in place a mandate, you will have a positive impact on that two-thirds to a half of the employees that have not yet gotten vaccinated. That other third, which can amount to like 10% of the overall employees, they're going to leave. They are not going to get vaccinated. They have whatever their beliefs are against it. One of the newest things, though, not a lot of people are talking about yet, is that we're starting to see companies that aren't putting in place mandates. So they're allowing employees that are unvaccinated to come into the workplace. We're seeing some of the vaccinated employees reconsidering whether that's the right place for them because they're concerned about getting sick. Hmm. So there's a lot of things to go into the calculus. One of the other things to go into that calculus as companies decide what actions to take and what actions not to take has got to be how to implement any kind of vaccine communication and or protocol or requirement. In other words, it may not be so binary, right, Jay, of you're vaccinated as a condition of employment, you can continue to work, you're not vaccinated, your services are no longer welcome here. Look, there's always exceptions that have to be made in the name of um, medical um, and religious freedoms. And so how are Um, companies then managing those exceptions to a vaccine requirement policy for those employees that chose not to get a vaccine for whatever reason, but yet still maintain employment and, you know, for probably and hopefully for them, maintain, you know, the good graces of their uh, of their bosses? Tom, there's no easy way to say this, but it's tricky. There are protocols that companies follow when they put in place these policies. Um, The HR department and often HR attorneys have to be involved when dealing with medical or religious exemptions because there's a lot of pitfalls, legal pitfalls, that you can fall into. And one of the things that you have to be sure of is that once you put the policy in place, you're uniformly enforcing it. So you have to have these exceptions, but beyond those exceptions, you have to be absolutely uniform. So you have to apply it equally to your best employees and your worst. How are employee voices being considered in this process that companies are working through? Um, A good company is always listening to what the employees want. The problem is, again, it's so divided good or bad, the politics has made some of these things very polarized. Some of the loudest voices are sometimes in the minority positions. So employee voices have to be very carefully sorted through to make sure that overall the company is doing the best things both for itself, its ownership, and the community. Beyond vaccinations, Jay, what other pandemic protocol policies 
seem to have staying power as the virus has shown to have staying power? Number one, I would say in the list would be the ability of employees to telecommute. Um, Work from home then. Yeah, working from home. So, you know, when, when before the pandemic, there was all this debate about whether people can be efficient working from home, the pitfalls um, and just the built-in inefficiencies of letting people work in their bunny slippers. When the pandemic came and so many companies instituted work from home programs, um, it turned out that a lot of those concerns were misplaced. Speaking with Jay Starkman, he's CEO at Engage PEO, a human resources outsourcing firm based in Hollywood. You're listening to the Sunshine Economy on WLRN. I'm Tom Hudson. Let us know what your views are of workplace pandemic protocols by sending us a message on Twitter or Instagram. We are at WLRN. And catch the BBC NewsHour Tuesdays through Fridays at 9 a.m. here on WLRN. Still to come on this program, we return to three restaurateurs who credit the vaccine for bringing back business, but are not requiring their workers to get shots. There is no one thing that we saw a surge of business more than the vaccine coming onto market. We're back on the Sunshine Economy on WLRN. I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks for listening. The job market has come roaring back in South Florida as restrictions were lifted and vaccines became widely available. Still, there are about 200,000 fewer jobs in the region than there was the month before the pandemic. And one out of every three of those missing jobs is in a single industry, the hospitality industry. The restaurant business has come back for some, and one thing really gets the credit for bringing back diners. No matter what protocols or what relaxing of indoor-outdoor dining, whatever that was mandated, there is no one thing that we saw a surge of business more than the vaccine coming onto market. John Kunkel is the founder of 50 Eggs Hospitality Group. It runs several restaurants here and in Las Vegas, Texas, and California. He remembers seeing the crowds come back fast earlier this year, mirroring how the vaccinations were opened up to different age groups. That early dining hour where we have folks who are a little a little bit more elderly that are coming out dining a little bit earlier, I mean, it all but disappeared during that time because they're in a higher risk category. And, you know, it was like the, you know, you've heard the term the roaring 20s again. We had people out ready to drink and eat and party, uh, you know, and they really just felt so freed from having this vaccine. South Florida restaurants experienced some of the first and fastest return of diners. In early January, when vaccines were still hard to come by and were limited mostly to senior citizens, restaurant dining nationwide was less than half it was during the same time period in 2019 before the pandemic, but it was down by only about 10 percent in Miami and Miami Beach. By April, with the expansion and wide availability of the vaccines, restaurant dining was down only 20% from pre-COVID levels nationally. But here in South Florida, 
Restaurants were reporting better than pre-pandemic business, up 40% in Miami and Fort Lauderdale, for instance. This data is from Open Table's State of the Industry report. We really are at pre-COVID numbers at almost every single store, which is wonderful to see, particularly this time of year, which in a lot of our markets are more tourist-driven markets. Uh, you know, this is typically a quieter time in Vegas. Uh, Miami hot summer, you know, again, this is one of our slower seasons. We're at numbers that really don't reflect the time of year. They're, they're far more. So we're, we are not seeing it slow down, thankfully. Uh, all the restaurants are doing very, very well. There was the restaurant business before the vaccines and the restaurant business after the vaccines. It was a huge uh, thing to move the needle for us business-wise. Still, Kunkel at 50 Eggs, Todd Herbst with Big Time Restaurant Group based in West Palm Beach, and small single operators like Mike McCann's Vacillate Wine Bar in Kendall have not required staffs to be vaccinated. They recognize the public health benefits, but are reluctant to be seen as making a policy that can be politicized and potentially limit the supply of people restaurants need to cook food, wait on diners, make drinks, and bus tables. It's a bit of a a blessing and a curse in that we have this business that we've so desperately needed and longed for. <laughs> we are struggling to find the staff to fill the shifts and to accommodate the business flow. No industry has added as many jobs and as fast since the depths of the COVID-induced recession like the hotel and restaurant sector. In South Florida, there have been more than 100,000 jobs created between April of 2020 and July of this year, while healthcare, another industry that's in demand for workers, has added 17% more jobs in South Florida since the worst of the pandemic. Hotels and restaurants have added 72% more jobs. It's an indication of just how many jobs were cut in March and April of 2020 and how quickly business has bounced back thanks in large part to vaccines. The trouble is that there are not enough workers interested in working those hospitality jobs. Consider this squeeze. Since April of 2020, the number of jobs in South Florida is up about 21%. But the labor force has rebounded by only half that amount. The pace of supply has simply not kept up with demand. At this point, I almost feel like we're all stealing from each other in the industry. So uh, it should be interesting times ahead. We make it known before somebody is hired that we need you in a mask or we need you vaccinated, you know, one or the other. That last voice is Todd Herbst, who runs Big Time Restaurant Group. It owns 16 restaurants across the state, including Big City Tavern and Rocco's Tacos. He says the company's either vaccinated or wear a mask policy for employees has not been an issue in the search for workers. Instead, he worries mandating a vaccine in order to work in his restaurants could hurt those efforts. So what we're doing is we're further limiting our labor pool to draw from if we make that requirement. It, it would be very difficult for us to just completely exclude a whole, a whole section of society, if you will, and still have a um, successful business. So that's that's not on the table. Hospitality jobs tend to pay less than the average wage, and workers quit at a far higher rate than other professions. According to data from the U.S. Labor Department, this has held true even as the average hourly wage for hotel and food service workers has increased to more than $15 an hour nationwide in May. Restaurants have had to increase pay even while employee turnover has increased too. 
Mike McCann has experienced it firsthand. He owns and runs Vacillate Wine Bar in Kendall. It's been a challenge to retain my, my employees. I have tried my best to do so, but I have lost about four or five waitresses or waiters to other restaurants. I'm a small business, so the larger restaurants were offering uh, like $1,000 or $800 signing bonuses to go over to them. So I did lose waitresses who took advantage of that and went to go work for Morton's Steakhouse or, or larger restaurants that were, that were offering those incentives. Others also point to the additional federal government unemployment payments. Those ended in Florida in late June. About 50,000 more people joined the South Florida labor force in July compared to a month earlier. Now, some research has found ending the extra unemployment benefits earlier had a limited impact on pushing people back into the job market while reducing household spending thanks to lower incomes. There's also what's been called the great reassessment, people from all industries rethinking their relationship with work and their workplaces. In the restaurant business, does someone want to work the hours required? How about relying on tips for most of your income and the necessary interaction with the public even as the pandemic continues? We do notice dips in business when uh, things are uh, coming to a head on the news with this Delta variant. When that came out on the news, we kind of took a downturn in business. People stopped coming out. They're unsure if they want to go out to restaurants, if they uh, will feel safe, what they want to do. So it's it's very much day-to-day and month-to-month. That's Mike McCann with Vacillate Wine Bar in Kendall. You are listening to The Sunshine Economy on WLRN. I'm Tom Hudson. Each Monday, we examine stories and hear voices of people shaping South Florida's economy. Be sure to listen for the BBC NewsHour on Tuesdays through Fridays here on WLRN at 9 a.m. to hear stories and voices from around the globe. Still to come on this program, the economy and the epidemiology of COVID-19 in South Florida. Maybe right now there's kind of a labor market game of chicken going on out there. I'm really hopeful that maybe this is a reality check for how we can prevent this kind of spike moving forward. Welcome back to the Sunshine Economy here on WLRN. I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks for listening. COVID-19 has laid bare the inextricable link between public health and the economy. The pandemic led to the fastest and deepest recession on record, and as restrictions were eased, an incredible snapback in economic activity. Still, the economy and a lot of people have not regained all that was lost when the virus started spreading. And the virus is still with us. Just as the germ keeps circulating in the economy, the economy is integrating the germ. We're learning how to live and work with COVID-19. So we are going to check in with an economist and an epidemiologist occasionally on this program to hear how the virus is influencing the economy and how the economy is responding. Hi, this is Howard Trank, director of the Metropolitan Center at FIU and professor of public administration and policy. Okay, Frank is not an economist, not technically, but his research focuses on the South Florida economy. 
The FIU Metropolitan Center has been keeping track of the South Florida economy during the pandemic with its COVID-19 Economic Recovery Index. It tracks county, state, and national data on health, housing, and jobs. Maybe we're 75% there in terms of employment and labor force participation. Wages are coming back to where they were, not quite there. So there's clearly progress, but the sectors that have been hit the hardest and have the farthest to recover are still behind the eight ball in hospitality and those services. It's been really hit very hard. Hit very hard because first, the business restrictions a year and a half ago, then how the virus changed consumer and worker behaviors. Overall, hospitality industry and the restaurant industry is kind of South Florida's mainstay. This is the epidemiologist. Hi, my name is Zinzi Bailey, and I'm a social epidemiologist and research assistant professor at the University of Miami. She focuses her work on public health and inequities. We have to figure out a way that is sustainable uh, moving forward and, and ways that we can protect both the patrons as well as the staff, the effects of COVID-19. The South Florida economy was picking up speed fast in the spring and early summer. Infection rates were falling Vaccination rates were increasing. Jobs were growing. Then the Delta strain of COVID-19 hit. Delta has modified all of our our plans for this fall. This is not what we anticipated when we started rollout of vaccination um, earlier this year. The increase that we're seeing now because of Delta question there will be whether that puts a pause button on, whether cruising or airlines and people coming in are delayed. Uh, Will we see business travel, which, you know, was supposed to pick up? Is that going to be hurt? So I think that's a caution light. The epidemiologist points out South Florida has a higher vaccination rate than other parts of the state, while the one studying the economy points out the timing of Delta and the traditional boom season for tourism could collide. We're in a a different phase now as we approach the... uh, the beginning of what was the traditional tourist season. Delta has had a kind of pattern in everywhere that it hits, where it has a spike, a a sharp spike up, and then a sharp uh, decline. I think it's going to be interesting to see how and in what ways the Delta variant hits our recovery. I think we're going to start seeing less of Delta, and I think we've already started seeing that, and we're going to then be in that recovery stage. A drop in the infection rate may hint at a pickup in the economy in the weeks ahead, encouraging people to come back to the workforce, reopening offices, giving consumers more confidence. What we've learned about this virus in the workplace is that it's going to depend on number one company policies. Companies are going to have to take a kind of stand. They can't be um, ambivalent about how they are going to address key elements of work. Delta has been raging through the community and economy as schools welcome back students. Now, sending children back to school can help some people re-enter the workforce in ways that weren't possible when school was online and at home. The opening of school is interesting, and it'll be you know how that plays out with parents and family. Uh, whether that leads to greater absenteeism or, again, it's disrupting family life and people who had expected that they could plan on going back to work or that they wouldn't need daycare. 
I think that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out or just adds to the uncertainty. We can't just have an, a, a vaccine only plan. Vaccine masking, hand washing, all of these things, reducing our concentration has been a key point of reducing the impact of the COVID pandemic. It's just one place to watch in the economy and in the epidemiology of COVID-19. Epidemiologist Zinzi Bailey with the University of Miami and Howard Frank watching the economy with FIU's Metropolitan Center. We'll hear from them most weeks here on the Sunshine Economy about the pandemic and the economy in South Florida. If you have questions about the epidemiology or about the economy concerning COVID-19, be sure to email those to us at sunshineeconomy at wlrnnews.org. sunshineeconomy at wlrnnews.org. And we'll get to those questions in the weeks ahead. You can find a podcast of this program and all of our past programs. Search Sunshine Economy on your favorite podcast app. Be sure to leave a rating and click subscribe. Thanks. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Look for us at WLRN. Joe Johnson is our technical director. Polly Landis is our booking producer. I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks for listening. WLRN Public Media.